0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the young adult minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you're about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it.
1: What do you want?
0: What do you want? It's not that simple. What do you want? Damn it, what do you want? I have to go. (laughs) You guys are a great crowd tonight. I have to say that I'm already having so much fun. Can we praise God for our worship team and for our announcements people? Man. That was so good. It's also so fun to be in a room of people here at Revive when our worship team knows how to get rowdy and all y'all don't really know how to get rowdy. (laughs) And so you're just kind of like, like there's a gentle bop of the knees and of the head or maybe there's like a gentle sway and they're like, uh, they're in like 75 mile per hour mode, and you're like in a nice neighborhood 30 mile per hour mode here. Anyway, wherever, whatever miles per hour you're at tonight, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Jamie, and I'm the Revive Young Adult Minister here at Hope's West Des Moines Campus. And it is a brand new month. It's February. Uh, happy February. Happy Groundhog's Day. That was, what, yesterday. I think I heard we're going to get an early spring, so winter is just having, hopefully, its last hurrah out there these last couple of days. Um, so it's February, and we're doing a new sermon series, and we are talking about relationships because it's February. Ooh, yeah, uh, uh, Because not only is it just February and it's like, I don't know who decided it was the month of love, probably Hallmark. Hallmark decided uh, that this is the month where we talk about Little babies with wings flying around and shooting people with arrows, which honestly sounds like a problem that needs to be stopped. (laughs) Um, And so, but a lot of people think about relationships when the month of February rolls around because of Valentine's Day. I also know from personal experience and working with young adults and being a young adult that kind of by this time the winter doldrums have set in a little bit and we've really been shivering and it's been cold outside and winter is a time at least here in Iowa where so many of us think about who are the people that I'm spending these long, cold winter months with? Like, Who are the people that I'm sitting inside playing games with? And maybe those were questions that you were asking pre-COVID and then now in COVID or post-COVID or whatever we are, that all that looks different. Regardless, we're going to be talking about relationships all month long. And the thing that I love about this series, as we're talking specifically about emotionally healthy relationships, is that this applies to All of the relationships that you have, not just romantic relationships, but relationships with coworkers, with your boss, with people that you might supervise, with people in a cohort at school, with coworkers, with family friends, like all of the people, the person that maybe you've been crushing on at the coffee shop, whatever, and you're like, I really hope that this is the time that they're going to remember my coffee order. And you go up and look at them and and they're like... What would you like to order in your life? And all your hopes and dreams are crushed. Uh, what we're going we're to be talking about is, is emotional health. And I started with that clip, that clip from The Notebook... Somebody asked me what movie it was from today, and I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) It's from The Notebook. Um, What do you want? Uh, Not because they're the most emotionally healthy relationship that has ever happened on the planet, but because we're gonna be talking tonight as we kick off this series about two things that are really important in all relationships, romantic and not. We're gonna be talking about mind reading, which Noah could not do, and we're gonna be talking about expectations. Um, And honestly, the, the character's in the notebook clip that we saw could really use this message tonight. So we're gonna cover a lot of things and I'm really excited about it. So I hope that you buckle up and um, are ready to go. You and I were created to be in relationships with one another. Uh, We believe as people of God, as a a church, um, scripture says that humanity was made in God's image. And the interesting thing about that is that God exists as a trinity of persons God the Father Jesus the Son the Holy Spirit and they are they are distinct there is uniqueness but there is togetherness and oneness and as this God that exists in trinity in relationship with one another and self you and I were made in that same God's image. You and I were made for a relationship. You and I were made for connection with one another, um, and not just romantically, but all of us were made for relationships with other people. And you were designed for healthy, awesome, flourishing, life-giving relationships. And a testament to that is you know how good it feels when a relationship is going really well. You've got the warm fuzzies, you're on cloud nine, things are going really well in your world. And then, I don't know what it feels like for you when that changes, I know what that feels like for me, suddenly life just isn't like as rosy anymore, right? Like when the quality of your relationships feels poor, the quality of your life just starts to feel poor. You and I were made for good, awesome, healthy, thriving, life-giving relationships. And here's an interesting concept about relationships. The quality of our relationships reflects the quality of work that we do in our inner worlds, this is not something that like researchers have said, or maybe they have this is just like a Jamieism. This is like Jamie's been a relational person her entire life, and I have seen this play out in my own life and in the lives of so many people around me, that the quality of what I've got going on in here, um, not like the quality of me as a person, but the attention that I am paying to my inner world to the things that I have not spoken or the things that I journal about, the things that I cry about, the things that I'm excited about. The work that I do paying attention to those things is mirrored in the quality of my relationships because it's what I bring to a relationship. You can't be in a quality relationship, you can't be in a healthy relationship if you're not in a healthy place. Like, that just doesn't happen. So the quality of our relationships reflect the quality of the work in our inner world. And so we're going to be talking about that inner world, not just tonight, but in this whole series, uh, because we want to get to some emotionally healthy relationships. So our relationships are a lot like a car, Um, specifically a car that has dash lights. How many of you have had a dash light come on in the last little while? Like maybe that tire pressure light came on or maybe something started flashing and you had that gut bomb of like, oh no, (laughs) yeah, yeah, okay, yes, Jacob, I'm, yep, tracking with you. Um, So relational issues Sometimes they're out of the blue and that light comes on and you're like, oh no, what is this? Like, is my car about to shake and fall apart and I will be stranded in the middle of 235, still going 50 miles per hour? or Maybe that's just my anxiety. That's what my anxiety says, is this car is gonna fall apart with me in it. Um, or maybe, you know, you see a light come on in your relationship, like a dash light on your car and you just kind of ignore it for a little while. Because you know if you ignore it long enough, it's gonna go away. That's how that works, right? Like, if you ignore it, it'll go away. Not really, unfortunately. Lesson learned. Um, relationship issues are like car dash lights. They're flagging to you that something needs to be paid attention to. Sometimes, if you know a little bit about cars, when your car dash light comes on, you know enough to say, oh, This tire pressure light is on, or maybe like me, the first time it came on, you were like, what is that? Oh my gosh. And you look at the owner's manual, you see, oh, it's just the tire pressure thing. Like, I know how to handle this on my own. And you can work through some relational issues on your own when that dash light comes on, that relationship issue pops up. Sometimes you need to take your car to someone smarter than you and have them... Take a look at the indicator light. Read the computer, because all cars have computers nowadays, right? My uncle is very dissatisfi- dissatisfied with this because uh, he used to be able to fix whatever he wanted. Um, but sometimes, just like with cars, you have to take your car to somebody who knows how to deal with it. The same thing is true in our, in our relationship. Sometimes you've got to have some assistance. Sometimes you've got to sit down and talk with somebody, get a trusted person, friend, mentor, pastor, therapist, whatever. And so... In this series, what we're doing is we walk through how to have emotionally healthy relationships. We're taking our cars to the mechanic. Um, there's um, some famous pastors around here at Revive that if you've been around Revive for a while, you've heard me reference them. Pete Skizero, he, uh, he wrote this book with his wife, Jerry, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. You've often made, uh, heard me maybe talk about emotionally healthy spirituality. We're talking about emotionally healthy relationships. And so all this series is gonna be based on their work through trial and error in their marriage. Um, And in 20 plus years of ministry uh, working in New York City, we're using their curriculum, talking about emotionally healthy relationships. And I'm I'm really, really excited about it. Um, so we're talking kind of 30,000 foot view about this, but we're also talking about specific skills because I don't want to just talk at you about something or have you come to Revive and leave thinking like, oh, that was a nice idea. Like maybe, maybe tugged a couple of my heartstrings or I feel invigorated or my bones are rattling or whatever. Like that would be cool. I also want you to leave with concrete skills Because God doesn't just call us to do things, God also equips us to do things. And we don't have to just wander around in the world being like, man, I wish my relationships were better, but not skilling up so that we could have better relationships. So I want you to skill up for healthier relationships. It's kind of like learning a new instrument or a skill. It's totally possible. It just takes practice and a willingness to learn. Uh, Sometimes those are the most difficult parts of practicing piano. Side note: My piano teacher was my grandma, who ended up living with us, and she. I would practice the piano in her living room while she was in like the bathroom or the other room. You know, there's nothing like practicing piano with your grandma yelling F sharp when you like miss that <laughs> note or whatever. Uh, thanks, grandma. Um, yeah, it was great. So, uh, but yeah, we should get her on the worship team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, F sharp. Yeah, and she had like pitch, uh, not pitch perfect. Well, she would, uh, whatever I'm trying to say. She could like, yes, perfect pitch. Thank you. I just flipped the words. So she was like, that is an F sharp that you're missing. I'm like, I know, Grandma. I did it on purpose. <laughs> um, so, but skilling up just takes practice and it takes a willingness to learn. So as we get into this tonight, I tremble just a little bit to use this analogy because. It is a bodily function analogy, and I used to do student ministry, and I apologize to the real adults in the room, but it just we're just gonna go with this because it's literally perfect, I'm sorry. If you have some flatulence, as my grandma used to call it, that you need to release from your body, like me, I remember specifically we would make a lot of jokes about this in high school and college, you know it needs to exit your body and so but you're just like no not here not now and then you're like no it's gotta it's gotta happen so you just hope and pray there will be no noise no smell it will just leave so maybe and then and so maybe you let it go and there's no noise and you're like thank you Jesus praise everything and then <laughs> And then, oh, no, like, your face starts to turn green a little bit, and your, like, face starts to melt off because it is bad. We would call those silent but deadlies, SBDs, because they're silent. No one knew who let that torpedo go, but everyone knew that that blast had happened. These things that we're talking about tonight are SBDs. They're silent but deadly. They will torpedo a relationship and you won't even (laughs) hear it coming. They will just happen and erupt and suddenly all of the lights on your dashboard, I'm mixing analogies now, this is terrifying. (laughs) All of the lights on your dashboard are going off and you have like a catastrophic failure. That is what we're talking about tonight. So we're gonna talk about two things. We're talking about mind reading And uh, something else about clarifying expectations. So we're going to start with mind reading. So mind reading goes a little bit like this. Your friend stops replying to texts as quickly. Your friend that you've been texting pretty normally or whatever, your friends, your pals, whatever, suddenly they just don't text back as quickly as they normally do and suddenly like maybe a day or two goes by between their texts. What do you start to think? Or maybe a coworker with whom you have been emailing really like fun, jaunty back and forth, like quippy emails or whatever, suddenly just gets very terse. One two word replies. They don't reply. It's a work text, and they just thumbs up it. <laughs> or maybe like me, this like this last week. I did this this week. It's crazy. I uh, texted a coworker for help with something and I sent a novel via text. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I could do this. Or like, what about this? Or I could do this. And the coworker just replied with six words. Or you could blank, blank, blank. And I was like, this person thinks I'm an idiot, an incompetent imbecile who just doesn't know how to do their job. And I started spiraling and thinking, well, they're thinking blah, blah, blah. And blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You don't know what's happening. (laughs) Uh, I'm spiraling. Just kidding. Um, And so suddenly you start to wonder, like, what's going on? And your brain starts filling. (laughs) That was really funny. Your brain starts filling all of these gaps. And what we're doing, a term that we could use for this, is you are beginning to attempt to read the mind of the person that you've been interacting with and filling in the gaps of, well, I'm thinking this is what they're thinking, and they're thinking this obviously because X, Y, Z, this is the observable behavior, there was a change, something like that. But that is not actually usually considering reality of there's more going on than we, what we actually know. There's probably situations that we are just completely unaware of, and we're only looking at this puzzle incompletely. And so when we start to put these puzzle pieces together in our, in our heads without checking the facts, we're often mind reading and torpedoing a relationship when that other person has no idea. Like I saw this coworker that I was just talking about the next day, and they were chipper and glib and just like, oh, did you get the whole thing figured out? Blah, blah, blah. And we like chatted about it. And I walked away and was like, oh my gosh. I like completely took that out into left field and it was it was just fine. And then realized because of the time when I had texted them this event that that person was in and was like, oh, they were probably like in the middle of preaching and just like, this is totally fine. Uh, our preachers don't text here at Hope yet uh, that I have seen. <laughs> uh, but anyway. I had just made up this whole thing happening in my mind and felt like, okay, yeah, this is, I was mind reading. I also remember uh, being a young adult. Um, I grew up here in Iowa, moved to Seattle after college, was there for a while doing youth ministry, which is where the toot jokes really kind of come in. Um, if you want to engage the boys in the room, man, you just got to do a <laughs> good bodily function joke, and then they're right back there with you. Um I had some friends in Seattle and um, they were really great friends. We were friends in Iowa. We moved to Seattle kind of within the span of a couple years. It was really great. I just imported my friends from Iowa, so that was really fun. Things were really great. And then we hit some really significant speed bumps in our friendships and things kind of, they would get worse and they'd get a little bit better and then they'd get worse, 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 then they'd get a little bit better and 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 they ended up being really, really difficult relationships. And somewhere in this turbulent um, friendship with one of the gals, I specifically remember her actually saying, well, you're blank. Like, you're thinking X, Y, Z. These are the things that you're doing. And so clearly this means that this is what's going on in your mind. And I remember being really caught off guard and realizing like, oh my gosh. Wow, yeah, I can see where you would maybe get that assumption from based on my behavior. But the, actually the, what was true for me on my end could not be farther from the truth. And I remember looking at her, and I said this only because I knew that I had done this before. I was like, man, you are talking about me behind my back to yourself. You are telling stories about me to yourself in your head that are not true, and I need you to knock it off. I probably said it nicer than that, but I remember being like, you're telling lies about me to yourself, and then thinking, I gotta write that down. <laughs> but I knew that that was true because I have done that so many times myself. So this mind reading thing often reads the situation rather poorly and doesn't really end well. And we're gonna look at a situation in scripture in a moment um, in a little bit that gives us some examples of this. But first we're gonna, uh, we're gonna keep going. Um, one of the things I think is fascinating about this is if you look at the 10 commandments in the Old Testament, even if you're not familiar with church, the idea of the 10 commandments may be familiar to you. One of the commandments says this, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. When we mind read, <laughs> we're, st- we're, we're saying false testimony about this person that we're in relationship with to ourselves, And maybe you say that to other people, right? Like maybe you process with a friend or vent, vent to a friend. There's good venting, right? I try to to only vent to people who can actually help me come up with a solution because then it's not a gossipy thing. I'm just like, can you help me? I've got some steam and some heat. I need to put this out there. Help me see this from, help me see what I'm missing, whatever. But when we're just talking about this stuff to ourselves or to other people about this person, we're mind reading, not great situation. There's a, a commandment about this in the Big Ten. Should not give false testimony against your neighbor. So we've got to stop bearing false witness in our heads about people. We've got to stop assuming their behavior means X, Y, Z. You don't know somebody's motivation. You can observe behavior, but we never know what's behind somebody's uh, we never know the motivation behind somebody's behavior. So here's some skills, some things that you can put in your toolbox. And if you wanna take a picture of this next slide, whatever whatever floats your boat. <laughs> um, here's some ways to stop mind reading clarify what someone is thinking rather than assuming we know what someone is thinking. So you can say things like this, and maybe this feels too like formal, maybe this feels like this isn't something you can say. You can rearrange this to make it sound like this is your voice and really begin to own this hey, uh, you can say like, I'd like to check out an assumption that I realized that I have. I've realized I've been making an assumption, I have this assumption, um, and, I, and I wanna talk about it with you, and then you lay it out there, and then you can say the bold words of, is that correct? And they might say yes, or they might say no. You could also say, there's this story that I'm telling myself here because of X, Y, Z. Is that story true? And take a posture of humility about it, Take a a posture of owning maybe some anxiety that you've had about what's going on because we wanna realize and then stop the narrative so that we can have more emotionally healthy relationships. So that's mind reading. And the second thing that we're gonna talk about is about clarifying expectations. And this one, like, I could talk about this one for five hours, so we're just gonna limit it to a couple minutes, but if you want to talk more about this, I would love to talk more about any of this with you, uh, but specifically this. Have you ever had, I don't know, like, a birthday or some sort of party, but let's go with birthday. Have you ever had a birthday... Were you expected that a specific someone was gonna like text you or message you or post about you on their Instagram story or whatever it didn't happen? I, how did that feel? Have you ever expected around a holiday for something to happen? I don't know, I don't know what, like for somebody to go splitsies on a gift with you that you thought they were gonna go splitsies on and then they, they just didn't. Or you expected that that cousin was going to bring that thing that they always bring or that they're going to show up. Uh, there's, there's all of these things that we expect people to do, particularly around things that mean a lot to us, like <laughs> Valentine's Day. We could talk about Valentine's Day expectations. Why didn't I think of that before right now? We could talk about Valentine's Day expectations all month long. Wow. Wow. Um, But we could talk about birthday expectations, holiday expectations, the expectations that we have on our family members for how they're going to interact with us, how they're going to show up in our lives. We have expectations of our coworkers. We have expectations of our bosses. We have expectations of our roommates. We could do a whole other sermon series on expectations of roommates, of at which point Um, and like the tallness of the trash pile to the top of the trash can, you expect the trash to just automatically get taken out. Um, the, the, the dishes, the dishes, (laughs) Jacob's slowly getting up and walking. (laughs) Sorry, Jacob, I didn't mean to call you out. That was just perfect. Uh, Man, we could talk about roommate expectations for such a long time. When we think about the expectations (laughs) that we have on people, there are often resentments waiting to happen. Because unclarified expectations are going to turn into resentments. I can guarantee it. So uh, sometimes, well, there's all different kinds of expectations. Um, The problem with many of our expectations is that people won't measure up because our expectations are unconscious. We don't realize that we have an expectation and you can realize that you had an unconscious expectation when something didn't happen and you're disappointed or when you get angry about something that you didn't realize was like a landmine there, right? Like you have this unconscious expectation and then when it's not met, you have this emotional reaction to it. There are unrealistic expectations like it's literally just not gonna happen. There are other expectations that are unspoken, like that everybody's gonna chip in for mom and dad's anniversary gifts, but it just doesn't happen. Expectations like all of your coworkers are gonna take home their food in the office fridge every weekend, and that doesn't happen. Like There's all sorts of these expectations um, that are unspoken. We just don't say them, but they're there. Or then there's unagreed-upon expectations. Um, We have expectations of other people that they didn't agree to, or vice versa. Um, so when I was in Seattle, sometimes when I talk about friend drama, I only talk about Seattle. I have other friend drama outside of that. But like when I tell you the, friend, the drama was drama, I mean it was a drama. <laughs> um, and so one of the, the dramatic situations, and my roommate and I would even talk about it for a while, but it was roommate situation, And uh, I think we'd been roommates for probably, it was over six months, but less than a year at this point in time, and we were driving back up Highway 99 from Seattle to Linwood, if any of you know where that is, and we were just, I was driving, and I started to realize, like, oh, there's been a conversation brewing, and I think it's about to happen Think it's about to oh okay yeah the conversation is happening and so we we just kind of got into it and as we got into hashing out this is how I've been feeling and this is what I've been mad about with things happening or not happening on your side and she's saying the same things back of what she's been frustrated about and we're just getting we're pulling all of the weeds like all of the things that we needed to say are being said and we'd been friends for years and we just kind of looked at each other and I was like, oh my gosh. I've had this expectation on you that you were gonna be my mom. Man, that feels yucky to say. And I didn't realize that I was expecting you to do these things, that in my house, my mom just, I never did them. So whenever I've lived with somebody else, it was always taken care of. And she had some, like we had, I'm owning my stuff, she owned her stuff. And we just kind of looked, well, I didn't look at her because I'm driving and I'm a responsible driver. <laughs> uh, but we just kind of looked at each other and I was like, man, our unexpressed expectations are killers. They had torpedoed our friendship that we'd been like, yeah, we're mature enough to live together, it will be fine. Let me, let me, let me tell you a tidbit. <laughs> if you were going to room with a friend or, or whatever, if you're gonna room with, like, you get married, you move in together, whatever, if you think that because you're mature, that means there's going to be an absence of conflict, you are living in a fantasy world. <laughs> because maturity does not mean an absence of conflict. Maturity actually means I will enter into this conflict because it means there's something important to me in this person and we are going to build our relationship through working through this conflict together. Maturity does not mean an absence of conflict, it means stepping into conflict. You gotta do it, people. <laughs> And it is not fun. It usually like, makes your insides feel like there's maggots in there, just like it's the worst. But <laughs> that was, I'm feeling rage-matic. Um, <laughs> you, you just gotta do it because better relationships are on the other side. And if you are not engaging in conflict and you are not clarifying your expectations, you are limiting the health of your relationships. You are limiting the ability for God to, God can't be limited by you. Like if God's gonna do something, God's gonna do it. But there are ways that we can just like pull back and put the brakes on things and be like, I'm not, I can't, I'm not gonna go there. God wants you to go there. If it's a toxic relationship, if there's abuse happening, get some help, you don't have to do that by yourself or do it at all. I'm not talking about like the extremes of those relationships, I'm just talking about there are things that need to be said and it's better to say them. Um, So families stop talking to one another over end my expectations, friend groups, blow up over unmet expectations, churches split up, people leave jobs, leaders or employees get torpedoed, birthdays come and go um, and can blow up over expectations. All of these different things can blow up with expectations. Small groups can blow up because, and I've seen a lot of that happen around Revive because you expect you're gonna hang out on the weekends with your small group and then people don't like respond in the group chat or they just do the thumbs up. or what. <laughs> There's all of these expectations that we have but people won't measure up if the expectations are unconscious, if they're unrealistic, if they're unspoken or they're not mutually agreed upon. And so these these expectations can be really powerful and I want you to take a look at this quick clip that actually goes into some research about expectations. We just learned about this in school in a psychology class that I'm in right now. Uh, We went more into depth in it, but it is fascinating how our expectations not only impact us, but the people that we are around. Take a look.
1: This is a man named Bob Rosenthal. And early in his career as a research psychologist, he did something very devious. Late one night, Bob secretly crept into his lab and he hung signs on all of the rat cages. Some of the signs said that the rat in the cage was incredibly smart, and some of the signs said that the rat in the cage was incredibly dumb. Even though neither of these things was true. So then Bob brings this group of experimenters into his lab and says, for the next week, some of you are going to get these very smart rats and some these very dumb rats, and your job is to run your rat through a maze and record how well it does. So what did they find? It was not even close. The smart rats did almost twice as well as the dumb rats. Even though they weren't... Even though the smart rats were not smart and the stupid rats were not stupid. They were just all the same kind of average North Dakotan rat. <laughs> that almost, to me, sounds like the stuff of science fiction, like telekinesis. Yeah. No one really believed him at first. I was having trouble publishing any of this. But what Bob eventually figured out was that the expectations that the experimenters had in their head actually translated into a whole set of tiny behavior changes. Handling rats and handling them more gently can actually increase the performance of rats. This kind of dynamic happens in people too. You may be standing farther away from someone you have lower expectations for. You may not be making as much eye contact. And it's not something you can put your finger on. That's Carol Dweck, a psychologist at Stanford. She was one of several researchers who explained all kinds of surprising things that expectations can influence. Like teacher expectations can raise or lower a student's IQ score. A mother's expectations can affect the drinking behavior of her middle schooler. Military trainers' expectations can literally make a soldier faster or slower.
0: Wow. Our expectations don't just live in us, they leak out of us. And they really have an impact on the environments, the atmospheres that we walk in. So what makes an expectation valid? How do we move through these Uh, problems that can come with expectations so that we can have emotionally healthy relationships that God designed us to be in that are life-giving and that thrive. Well, we need to be aware of our expectations. Sometimes you don't know that they're there until you stepped on a little landmine and you're like, oh, (laughs) okay, I found one. But then you become aware of it. Aha, this is an unrealistic expectation or I didn't express this or whatever. So become aware of them and then realize I do need to have reasonable expectations. That expectation that I had, for example, of my roommate acting like my mom, like that's not reasonable, but I didn't have the words for it, and then when I said it, I realized just how unreasonable it was. So I need to have reasonable expectations. And I need to communicate about them. I need to express my expectations. Man, I realize that, that I've had this expectation that when the trash can meets, when the trash in the trash can meets the top of the trash can le- b- level one of us will take it out that like if it starts to like fall over onto the floor or whatever, like that's, I'm not into that. My expectation is that this will happen. You can talk about expectations really easily. It doesn't have to be a scary thing, right? Sometimes we just make it scarier in our heads. Um, And expectations do need to be agreed upon for an emotionally healthy relationship. This is my expectation. Is that something that you'd be willing to say yes to? Can we, what expectations do you have of me? And in humility, approaching those and asking for the build of a relationship And you can say, I'd like to clarify this expectation, or I'm I'm wondering if this is something that would really make me feel comfortable, could we have a conversation about it? There's all sorts of ways that we can approach expectations to make them valid. And I'd like to just shift gears a little bit here because we've been talking about really important things in regards to relationships with one another, but I want to shift just a little bit, and now that we've taken a look at mind reading and expectations, just take a moment how they, and look at how they impact our relationship with God. And I invite you to just consider kind of quietly uh, before we look at a Bible story, what are your expectations of God? Like when you think about who God is, when you think about what brought you here tonight, what you want from God, what you've been praying for lately, And how maybe, just maybe, are you kind of mind-reading a little bit? Like, there's big air quotes around this, right? Like, we can't read God's mind. God's mind is much bigger than yours or mine. But I even remember a couple years ago, there were some things, ah, this is four or five years ago, there were some things going really poorly, And I remember thinking, God's punishing me for something. And then I was like, Jamie, you literally have a religion degree and you know that that's not how that works. And then I was like, ding, ding, if I can think God is punishing me because of X, Y, Z, and I even know that's not how that works, man, I get how people that I interact with so often can struggle. God's punishing me because of X, Y, Z, whatever. And that's mind reading. And there are some expectations that we may may have of God that are unexpressed, that are on all of that list, that that that's not something that actually when we begin to articulate it, we realize that that's fair. Or maybe how are we beginning to think like, well, this terrible thing's happening in my life, so God must be really mad at me, or I must have like, I I feel like I have no purpose in my job, so I must have like missed the boat, and I don't know how I could like, quote unquote, get back on track. You're never lost with God. God always knows where you are. You are never in a place that is is too far for you to just be in God's love immediately, for you to be in God's grace immediately. And uh, we see this in a story in the Old Testament. This is one of my absolute favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings chapter five. If you wanna, like, if you have your Bible or Bible apps and you wanna follow along, you totally can. Otherwise, we've got some stuff on the screen Um, But this is the story of Naaman. Any of you just by the name, are you familiar with the story of Naaman? This is one of my favorites um, when I was a kid. So Naaman is the commander of the army of Aram, or Aram, however you say this in Hebrew. I haven't taken Hebrew yet, but I'm going to next semester. I'm very excited about it, so I'll tell you. They're probably going to tell me it's a dead language and that we don't know, and I'll be like, no, I need to know. Um, but he's a commander of the army of Aram, um, for the king of Aram, and he's a mighty warrior, and he means a lot to the king. The king really loves Naaman. Naaman. So Naaman is a mighty warrior, uh, but scripture says um, in verse two or three, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from this disease known as leprosy. He suffered, there was this skin disease that was, um, I don't quite understand how a a disease diagnosis of leprosy, which was normally pretty debilitating, could still mean that he was a mighty warrior, but this probably tells me that like this guy has gumption. And so he suffers from leprosy. And actually, there's a servant girl in the king's family that is from Israel, from from the people of Yahweh, from the people of God, who says to her uh, mistress, the queen, hey, if we could just get Naaman to my homeland to, to visit with the prophet there, he could be healed, And so she says, I wish my master uh, would go see the prophet. He would heal him. And so Naaman goes with a letter from the king of Aram to the king of Israel. And Naaman goes to the king of Israel and presents this letter, which says, with this letter I present to you, my servant Naaman, writes the king of Aram, please heal him of his leprosy. And the king of Israel, this, I paraphrase, says, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not God. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can just see that he's trying to pick a fight fight with me. So we have a little bit of mind reading happening here. The king of Israel is like the king of Aram, who is this mighty um, general. He's just trying to pick a fight with me. Man, this whole thing is just gonna go downhill super quick and you can begin to hear that anxiety spiral of mind reading. So the king of Israel tears his cloak, is distressed about this whole thing, and Elisha, who actually we sang about in the song, yeah, yeah, and I was like, well, that's a kind of fun little moment. Um, Elisha, who is the um, apprentice of the prophet Elijah, who you may have heard of, Um, if you haven't, that's fine, but Elisha came after Elijah. Elisha hears about this, Elisha is the prophet that this... Girl was trying to talk about in reference. So Elisha the prophet hears of this and sends word to Naaman or to the king to send Naaman to him. And so uh, the king sends Naaman. So Naaman shows up at Elisha's house, and this is where things get really interesting. Elisha doesn't come out to to visit Naaman. Elisha just sends, Elisha's inside his house. He sends somebody else to deliver this message to Naaman outside the house to say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then you will be healed. Naaman gets really angry. He's like, is the water here so much better than all the water at home? Like what? why did I come all this way? You're not even giving me the honor and the dignity, he's mind reading, of coming out to see me and to like greet me. I've come all this way. You apparently have this power to heal me. It's like going to a doctor that supposedly is going to have the thing that's gonna cure the thing and the doctor won't give you a visit. Just sends a nurse, which the nurse is very qualified, right? But you're like, I wanted to see the doctor. Um, And so Naaman becomes really angry and he stalks away and it literally... Did I Google search the Bible for the word expect? Yes, I did. Uh, but here we have expectations. And I was like, oh, this is a perfect story. Naaman says, I thought he would certainly come out and meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on his God and heal me. And so he, he's ready to storm home. And the men that are with him say, Naaman, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let's talk about this. And they convince him to just go down to the river. You're already here, man. Just go down, what, I mean, if this Elisha guy had asked you to do something really difficult, you probably would have done it, right, they say? They're like, this is a really simple thing. Just go down to the river, dip seven times. What is the worst that could happen? So he goes down to the Jordan River. He dips himself seven times in the water. <laughs> Can you, I kind of wish I would have been there, like one, two, three, four, five six seven. Um, And he does it, and it says his skin becomes as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. And so God does this miraculous healing. He goes back, talks to Elijah. They have a conversation um, that's really beautiful, and Naaman ends up saying, like, I want to worship your God. I want to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. How do I do that? They have this beautiful conversation about it. And Naaman not only experiences physical healing, But emotional healing, relational healing, he is restored to health not only in his body, but in his community and in relationships and all these really incredible things are able to happen. He's able to to still move through some expectations and some mind reading. And so I just wonder when we are like Naaman, when we have an expectation of God that we're like, God, I wanted you to do this thing because you didn't do it this way like I, I kind of want to be done with you. And I think so often we have those expectations on God, because subconsciously, we have this deep, embedded awareness of what we think God's expectation is for us. I've got to live up to these things. God calls me to be perfect, and I can't be so like, "But why would I even try?" Here's what I want you to know about God's expectations for you. It's really simple. God's expectation for you doesn't even sound like an expectation, it's just love. It's an awareness of the unending love of God for you, of the unconditional love of God for you. That there's nothing that you could say or do that would make God love you anymore because God literally could not love you anymore because God loves you so incredibly much. God sees the questions that you have, the expectations that you have, the ways that you wish your life was different. And so often, uh, one of my favorite faith authors is Pete Gregg. Um, He wrote a book called Dirty Glory that a lot of you may be familiar with. And he writes in um, the book Dirty Glory about like so often we're like, God, what is my purpose? And God just simply says, I love you. And we say to God, God, I need to know what to do in this sticky situation. Can you help me out? And God just says, let's spend some time together. That the answers that we're asking so often are such small questions actually in the grand perspective of what God can see when God looks at our lives and what we've got going on. So whatever expectations you realize that you might have of God, I invite you tonight to just let the love of God be the answer to the question that you're asking to know that God's love is everything. It seeps in. Sometimes it overwhelms. But that God has no expectation for you other than for you to just simply receive God's love for you. And all of the emotional health that we could ever want or dream of flows from a place of understanding that love so that we don't do things For love, we do things from love. So Paul writes about this in a lot of his letters in the New Testament, but one of my favorite uh, parts that he talked about was this. Um, Actually, this isn't Paul, this is Peter. Um, Paul wrote about it a lot, but Peter did too. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. We can have expectations of God. Because God has the power to live up to and actually beyond the things that we could imagine or ask of God. I in my experience usually what happens is our questions of God are not big enough. God why do bad things happen to good people? God, why is this terrible thing happening? God says, I love you. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Let's be together. And so tonight we're gonna celebrate communion. Communion is literally a way that we encounter the presence of God, very simply in a little bit of grape juice and a little kind of cracker thing. But we believe that it's not the power of these elements that brings God's spirit to us, but that God's spirit in love comes to us and says, I love you. You are mine. You are enough. You are called. You are equipped. You are good. You are excellent. And so um, in just a moment, the band is gonna play and uh, um, some housekeeping and how we do this here at Reviver, at least how we'll do it tonight. Um, Communion servers, you can come on up and get ready. Um, You can, um, when you feel led, um, we're gonna be standing in a moment. As you feel led, you can kind of come up these middle side aisles um, and the servers will give you a little communion packet and then you can return to your seat either on the outside aisles or the center aisle. And know that um, here at Hope, we practice open communion, which means Jesus is the host of this meal and he invites anybody who wants more Jesus in their life to come to this meal. That's it. And so I invite you as you um, come forward tonight to be considering how great the love of God is for you. I think that's all I wanna say about that. I invite you to stand with me and we're gonna say our table grace, which is the Lord's prayer and the words will be on the screen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, If you need gluten-free, we've got some gluten-free over on this side. And if you are at home on the live stream, you are more than welcome to grab some crackers or bread, grape juice, cranberry juice, wine, and participate with us because God's promises in this meal are for you too. So as you feel led, come on up. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.